G'day everybody and welcome to a new episode of X-Band the Phantom Podcast. This is a uh, rather special episode as we have a special guest with us, but before we get to that, I'll introduce our regular hosts, Jermaine and Stephen. How are you guys? Pretty good, pretty good. Steve, you're back with us, mate. I'm back, back in the new studio here. I'm, I'm settled in. I've got a new desk and everything. It's, it's pretty flash. <laughs> awesome. Glad to hear it. Right out. Well, our special guest for this episode is Jeremy McPherson, who may be better known to fans around the world as the uh, cover artist for Furu Publications Phantom Comics. How are you, Jeremy? I'm very good. I'm very good. Um, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for joining yeah. us. We we're very pleased to have you on. So, um, to get started, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a Phantom fan? If you, if indeed you are a Phantom fan yourself, and how you discovered the character? Yep. Oh well, I I've, I've been a reader since I was a teenager in the nineties. Um, I've um, always been a Fru fan. I've um, I really enjoy the Australian editions. Um, also discovered some of the British and American ones, the Pacific Comics editions, the ones that um, the Pacific's Comic Club put out. Yeah. Some of the Italian editions. Um, there's some really good artists from Italy that I really like, which aren't that well known over here, but I think are really good. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, um, so what? Sorry, Jermaine, you go. Uh, uh, sorry, what what made you collect the Phantom as a teenager? Yeah, um, I think like a lot of people, because they were so easy to get and they were quite cheap compared to other comics, and um, really they they had quite good standalone stories that were easy to get into. And especially since it was quite accessible from the newspaper the comic and quite visible, um, I think it was a really easy comic to get into at the time. Awesome. Yeah. So it seems to be the thing, isn't it, that a lot of people start their um, their comic education, I guess, in Australia at least, with the Phantom, like you say, because it is so easy to, to get hold of. Cool. So... Um, Moving on to the art side of things, how so have you always been an artist? Have you always drawn and, and things like that from an early age, or was it something you got into later in life? No, no. I, well, I've um, drawn comics for quite a few years, um, newspaper comics, um, comic books. Um, pretty much started, I think my first one was published when I was about 16, and I've been doing them since then, really. Wow. Well, that's really cool. So what was your first published comic? Um, well, I did um, newspaper comics when I was still at school, and um, I did a few comic books. I think my first published comic book would have been uh, Pop Culture and Two Minute Noodles, which is an Australian comic, which was around um, sort of in the early 2000s. So... Uh, um, Dylan Naylor was the publisher of that one. He's quite well known for Dar and Dill and Martin Malloy and all the, those comics. So, yeah. So did you um, go to art school, get an art education, or is it just pure talent? 
um, no, well, I, I used to get art lessons in Narrabri, New South Wales, and um, my I used to get lessons from Peter Chapman, who was the Fru artist back from the 40s through to the 60s. Wow. And he So he did The Shadow and Sir Falcon, and he also did uh, The Phantom occasionally when Tommy Hughes wasn't available. So Tommy Hughes was um, probably the main artist back then. I'm not sure mm -hmm. if you're mm -hmm. aware of him, but he was there from about the 40s until about 88, I believe. Wow. And that was sort of after that, um, that's when uh, Keith Chatter and Terry Wellsby came in. But Tommy Hughes was the main one for a long time. And he worked on The Phantom mostly. The other original comics were mostly, um, I think, um, Jeff Wilkinson and Peter Chapman. And Peter Chapman is still alive. He's still around. He's 90 years old now. But um, recently there was an exhibition of some of his material at the State Library in New South Wales, in Sydney, and he came down to see that. Oh, cool. Yeah. So did you get to meet the man again? And Oh, yes, yes. Um, actually, um, I was very lucky. Um, he invited me to come and see some of the stuff they couldn't put on exhibition, so I got to see a lot oh, of wow. extra things, so it was pretty great. No, he's very good. Cool. Wow, that sounds really fun. Yeah. So, um, apart from the Furu covers and your other art, is that is art your full-time job, or do you do other things as well? No, no. Um, my um, day job is as a librarian. So oh, cool. I work in a... Yeah. So I work in a large public library in Sydney. Oh, that's cool. So you make sure they have a very well-stocked comic section. Yeah, yeah. So we have a, a very nice graphic novel section. Yeah. And actually, um, you might be interested to know that some Sydney libraries now stock the Phantom. Um, oh, I really? Believe Wollongong does. Um, a lot of libraries don't stock the single issues, but um, Wollongong Library does stock the Fru Phantoms now. Oh wow! Yeah, I've I've heard that they don't stock single issues because they're so hard to sort of um, keep in good condition. You know, with lots of people thumbing through them, they're they're easier to damage than say a collected book. So that's really cool that some are starting to yeah. hold those. I remember as yeah. a kid. Um, what was that that story that was in Russian? Was it a Simon in Riga or something? Yep. Um, All right. Yep. That that was in our school library because it was uh, educational because it had Russian in it. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but you know that's the only type of uh, education um, uh, Wonkakon Primary School could uh, afford back in those days up in uh, up in Dingy or Jelton. Well, that's a good education to have. <laughs> So um, how did you come to be cover artist at Fru, Jeremy? Oh, okay. Um, well, I first sent some samples um, a few years ago to Jim Shepard, and um, mm -hmm. he sent me a letter back 
telling me the things to improve. And um, I tried again a few years later with Steve Shepard, and eventually yep. he let me do a few. So, yeah, I think I've got, certainly got a lot better in those few years, and I think I still, even over the past, you've got a lot better, and mm. I think I can still get a lot better from here. Yeah. You know. Well, I suppose that's the thing as an artist, you're always learning, so, you know, you oh, never yeah. stop improving. That, that's interesting no. that um that, that Jim sent you um, advice because having talked to other, uh, who I won't mention, but other people that have worked with the Fru, he, um, the impression I got was that he didn't have a lot of time for people that he didn't know could bash out a good job. So that's, that's quite yeah. interesting that that he did that so yeah. it was his, well, his advice it was, um, yes no it was he was um it was sort of advice on proportion advice on inking advice on a few things it was really i thought it was really nice to, to write that i thought that was a really nice thing to do and um i really did appreciate it i thought that was good and was it a handwritten letter no, oh, it was um, Jim Shepard. I'm not sure if you know, but he was quite famous. He'd always write. Um, there were uh, typewritten or printed letters, but they were paper letters, and he'd always sign them. So he he was quite a well known as a letter writer. He would always respond to people when they'd write in when he could. Um, I know quite a few people have got letters from him. But, um, yeah, no, it's, yeah. So I I do still have that letter, and I really did appreciate it. I thought that was very nice of him. Definitely. Yeah, that's great. Before you were talking about how there was um, some artists from uh, some of the Italian um, editions, I'm assuming, like, with the covers and some of the stories. So who would be some of your your favourite fandom artists? Oh, okay. Um, I, I really like um, Germano, Germano Ferry. I'm not sure yep, if you're familiar yep. with him. Um, yeah, I he was the artist like, on the Lightning Egg, which was in the one of the latest uh, previous free issues. That's right. Yeah, he's. Um, I think he's. He'd be one of the best. I think he's pretty amazing, and yeah. I, I really like the work he did with Fel Mang. Yeah. I really like Cy Barry. I think Cy Barry is fantastic. And also Ray Moore, Wilson McCoy, all of them. Um, as far as Australian artists, um, I think Antonio is amazing. I think Keith Chatter is amazing. And Glenn Ford, all of them. And even some of the lesser known people like Terry Wellsby, Peter Chapman. I think really I enjoy their work a lot. Pretty much all of the artists so do you collect do you, like do you collect these other comics and stuff like that as well uh collect the fandom yes yes um i've got um yeah I, i'd say i've got quite a few issues um mostly australian and american i do have a few italian issues um i've got don't have a huge amount of memorabilia, but I've got some original art. Okay, nice. For an yeah, artist, but, it's almost uh, a prerequisite, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, it's it's really interesting to see some of it. So I've got uh, some Tommy Hughes um, fruit covers. Oh, wow. Fruit covers are really hard to get a hold of. Yeah. And, and um, I've got some Italian, only pencil pages, but they're pretty great. And I've got a couple of um, George Olsons and things like that. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Very That's nice. Very, cool. very jealous. Good. <laughs> so, do you have a, do you have a favourite <laughs> fandom story? Oh, um, I really like probably the ones that I really like are the the Sunday stories from the sixties. I thought they were really beautiful, and also the seventies stories, the ones that um, Andre LeBlanc. Um, contributed to, or George Olsen. I think some of those really reached a bit of a high point in terms of the art, and also the stories by Lee Falk were really going quite well then. I think those are probably some of the best ones. But um, also a lot of the Samick and Egmont stories, I think, have been really quite good. Um, I Yeah, I suppose it depends, because we're only really reading translated versions of them. So <laughs> it can be hard to, yeah. even though, but the translations really, um, I think are quite well done considering. Um, I'm not sure if a lot of people know, but those, I, I believe they were originally translated by uh, Astrid Forsyth. But for a while, even Jim Shepard was doing a lot of it himself. And I, I think they did quite a good job. Mm. It's not that easy to translate. It's a real art to translate something from another language because it's not just straight, um, you know, word for word. It's actually getting the feeling of the story and trying to substitute things that may not actually exist in the English language. <laughs> so it's quite yeah. a challenge. Especially when it's like, I think we've discussed this on the, on the podcast before where it's, you know, originally created in English, then translated into Swedish or Norway, and then it's translated back into English. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Interesting. Um, oh, do you like the historical stories? <laughs> oh, you had to bring that up, didn't you? Yeah, I've got to put it in I there d- somewhere. <laughs> I do, I do. I like... Um, I do, I like... Um, yeah, I think they're quite interesting, a lot of them. I like the ones... Especially the ones by Lepinen or some people like that that really yeah. get the feel across of the time. I think yeah. those are great. I love them. Actually, I've got a couple of original pages by him, mm. and I'm oh, not wow. sure if you've ever seen his originals, but they're very they're very big. Yeah. And just the detail on them, they're amazing. He's great. He's um. So he's another like one of my favourites too. Yeah, he's almost like an A3 size. Not quite, but it's you know it's it's huge. Pretty much, yeah. And they're, <laughs> I, yeah, I think they, I like the historical stories when they're done, you know, by people like that. I think they're great. And I think it's interesting to explore the history, you know, of several hundred years worth of generations of the Phantom. I think it's an interesting thing to explore. Probably not all those stories hit the mark, but, <laughs> you know, they're good. I think it's. It's an interesting thing, and uh, I'm glad that they explore it. 
You're on your own there, Joe. Everyone else laughing. Hey, I, I, I just read, I just read the mysterious prisoner today, and I did really enjoy it. So <laughs> stick that. <laughs> yeah, I, I but like we'll discuss that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, was that one of your covers, Jeremy? Which one? The mysterious. The prisoner? mysterious. Yeah. No, no, I think that was no. um. So. Um, the, the actual process, um, a lot of them are done with um, interior panels. So they're yeah. usually done, yeah, they're an interior panel and they'll reformat that and um, change that into, I don't know, sort of colour that and um, maybe move a few elements about and mm-hmm. use that. Um Back in, say, the 80s, they also used to often use sometimes American um, versions like King Comics or they'd um, take the Rudolph Goes um, covers and they'd um, redo them. So I'm not sure if you've ever seen some of the Terry Wellsby ones where he would take basically take the Swedish cover and adapt it. So sometimes they'd um, change it from a painting to be line art or, you know, use certain elements of it. So it's quite interesting Mm -hmm. if you compare, say, the Swedish edition and then the Australian edition and you can see where they might have redrawn it but changed it to put the Phantom in his costume or, you know, because there was a strict rule that the Phantom in Australia had to be in his costume pretty much on mm. the cover. Mm. Well, there's only there are, one. Isn't there only... There's not many there's of one, them, isn't there? It's Mr. Walker. Isn't there one cover, fruit well, cover, where the, he's not on yeah, it at all? Fan, it's the Phantom Head. Yeah, it's 970-something. Yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah, the, the only the one that, that, where he's not actually on it. Yeah. Um. So... So, Jeremy, I must admit, I um, when Jermaine told me that, that he'd been talking to you and stuff, I must admit I was quite surprised that there was an artist doing um, through covers, not because of the quality of the covers, but I'd thought since um, Glenn Ford had stopped doing their covers, and apart from the odd Antonio Lemos ones, they were just using the um, interior art and making the covers out of that like you just described. So... Mm-hmm. I was quite surprised. I thought, oh, this is great. They've got an actual artist doing doing their covers. So um, could you take us through your process of how you make a cover um, for free? Yep, yep. sure. Um, I don't... Most of the, the, the covers are done with a pretty short deadline. Um, usually you're given the story... Um, and then you have to create a rough, and that's given mm-hmm. to the publisher, and the publisher will suggest changes and often ask conversion. So the, the publisher at the moment, as I'm sure you know, is uh, Dudley Hogarth, yeah. who really makes yep. a lot of good um, suggestions. So um, he really does improve the rough from the initial version. And after that... Um, I do up a full version, so I draw them in Russian ink, so it's 
actually the process really. You usually um, draw them on a, a piece of artboard and um, then they're scanned in. Um, after that, they're coloured. Now, some of them I've coloured, some of them have been coloured by, um, I do a colour guide and then that's um, sent into Cadillac Printing, who are in Adelaide, and they will do the colouring there. Now, I, yeah, I'm really just sort of learning colouring at the moment because the colouring is now being done. Um, initially, it was Steve Shepherd started doing colouring, so he started actually colouring them himself and sending them a finished file. And what it was sort of um, sometimes done at through and sometimes it was done at Cadillac Printing, but yeah. now it's pretty much moving to being done by somebody at through, which is a bit of a challenge. But I think, yeah. especially, I think Dudley's doing a good job. I think he's... Um, I think he's done some really nice work, and I think probably the last one. Um, I think it might have been one seven three two, but that one there I thought starting to look all right. The colours, and also one I did a while ago, which was I think it was a pirate story. I think it was Blood Red Sea. I did the colours on the front of that one, and I thought that one turned out all right. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think colouring for print is quite a difficult challenge. Um, you have to – you're basically working in CMYK, which mm. colours yeah. on screen don't match up to what comes out from the printer. <laughs> it's, it's a real learning curve for that, I think, but – I think the art of comic book colouring is really underrated. There's a lot of colourists oh, yes, that they, they don't get the respect they deserve. Like yeah. Some of the great colourists, like, say, Laura Martin or, I don't know, Dave Stewart. I'm not sure if you're familiar with their work, but no. some of the work they do is just astounding for DC Comics yeah, um, and Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, I, I read... Um a fair few American comics, and yeah, you're completely right. Some of the colouring work in those things are brilliant, but you never hear, you know, about the, the colourist, as you say, being praised, which is a shame because, yeah, they really do deserve that that recognition. Yeah. Because it's, it's pretty easy to tell between, you know, a good colour and a bad colour. Yeah, I think, yeah. well, I think it's a skill, and I think it's um because colouring is often something that has to be done in a very, very short amount of time. So a lot of um, whole books have to be turned around in a couple of days. So it's yeah. it's a hard thing to do because um, it's not as though you have um, days or weeks to, to work on something and work it to perfection. Often you just have to do the best you can in the deadline that you have. But I think it's something you can improve at, the colouring. I think it's something, and I think even looking at Dudley's work, I think he's starting to get really good. And I told him that recently. I said, I think some of his recent work is really showing 
you know, really quite effective, really bringing the best out of the material. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I think the recent one, the um, Mysterious Prisoner or something like that was the title. But that one there I thought was yep. really nice. What he'd done on that. Oh, so he coloured that. That's oh, yeah, the really nice cover. That oh, Which issue was that? The dinosaurs one? Yes, yes. I one. love that issue. Yeah, I, that I was... thought that um, I thought the colouring on that cover was pretty good. Yeah, he did a good job on that. Oh, and yeah. also, that issue had Germano Ferry in it, so uh, mm. even better. That, that was That was a good issue. I think a lot of people would probably agree. That was pretty good. Having the story and having the short story had a nice cover. I think that was mm. a good job. Mm-hmm. So, before yeah. you were talking about a color guide, what's a color guide for the people that aren't yeah. um, uh, knowledgeable in the area of, of like yourself and Joe? You know, a bit of you know, dumb duns like Steve. What's a color guide? So all the plebs, you okay? Mean? Yeah, the plebs. Uh, <laughs> The unknowledgeable <laughs> people. That's commonplace. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, a colour guide. It's um, usually it's it's interesting that up until quite recently, Fru had been using the same technique from you know roughly from the beginning. Um, I'm not sure. You're probably not that aware of the, the techniques used in the 40s when they started in 48 but originally what they'd do is they'd have the artwork and they'd have, they'd have kind of an overlay so it would be maybe some sort of tissue paper or something that would sit on the top and then they would often go over that in watercolours or more recently sometimes colour pencil and that's what would be given to the printer. And the printer would interpret that and make it into the actual colours that would be used. So maybe back in the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, when they were using actual um, letterpress printing or offset printing, it would have been turned into the printing plate. And then later on, it was turned into computer colour. But the actual colour guides and I have seen some of the color guides that were done by say Antonio or Jim Shepherd and those were done the ones that I saw were done in colored pencil so those ones were sort of an overlay that would sit over the top on um, sort of tracing paper see-through paper and they would sort of be a guide for what the color would be and those were what we used up until quite recently. So when I, the first ones that I did, um, I gave them a colour guide. I did do it on the computer, but um, obviously they they weren't translated exactly across. <laughs> <laughs> like the first one I did, for example, had a, a blue sky and everything in the colour guide, but <laughs> they just made it a purple sky. <laughs> So it, I, I quite liked the result in the end, actually. I thought, I thought it looked all right. But um, that's that's kind of the method that was used. So it was interesting that it really hadn't changed um, mm. that much in the whole time, even though the, the technique of 
interpreting it had changed in that they now did it on a computer instead of doing it on printing plate. Yeah. But um, essentially it was quite similar. So when you'd see like a big patch of perhaps, say, yellow, <laughs> that would be, they would just have a standard yellow colour that they would pick out. So Bimbepe may have coloured on a guide, but... And it, it's interesting that when that exhibition at the State Library recently, they showed some colour guides from the 40s. Oh, so, yeah. And they, they looked almost the same as the recent through ones. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Yeah. You are on a lot of the Facebook groups. And so how, how do you handle receiving feedback on your own art, whether it's, you know, on the Facebook or even on our podcast and all that. Like, how, how, how does that come across, like, you know, as an artist and you know, especially from people like, you know, who don't understand the whole process and stuff like that. But like, what, what's the reaction from an artist's point of view? Oh, um, well, I get quite a few messages sent to me and, you know, some people like it, some people just tell me how terrible it is every time but <laughs> yeah, I think it's all good you know I'm 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 really grateful that people are interested you know and I, I I I hope that I'm getting better and I think I am I think I've got a lot to improve but I think it's great you know I'm I'm just happy that people are interested mm. I'm I'm not offended you know I I know some of the other people get a bit of I was the only time I was a bit offended was when someone was um, writing a lot of posts about Antonio, and that was, you know, I thought that was a bit much. Uh, I think another one, the one where he was um, saying, "Oh, it's a poor rip-off of the original yeah. um, uh, Phantom Men covers or something like that." I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah I mean, but you know, I, if it's about me, I. I've, I know I've got to improve a lot, but I think um, I think my last one was a lot better, and I mm. think my next one's going to be a lot better. So you know, I I think it's great, but um, don't knock Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, for those who don't know, um, uh, I, I first met um, uh, Jeremy at the um, uh, this year's Lee Fort Memorials Ben Girls Explorers Club, and. Um, yeah, you were very excited to be able to meet Antonio, weren't you? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was you know, lovely to talk to Terry Beatty, Glenn Ford. Mm. And I would had met Glenn Ford before a few years ago. But, um, you know, yeah, to meet Antonio was amazing. I think he's great. Yeah. I think uh, um, all, all the people there were really, you know, they were really nice. They were really... It was really interesting to see the collections of some of the people there. I thought it was a great night. Yeah, they're always good nights. Cool. Um, sorry, Jermaine. So what will be... Yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you go, Jermaine. <laughs> we'll let Steve have a yeah, go. Steve, you've been pretty quiet there. Anything you want to say, mate? <laughs> uh, I'm, a bit sta- I'm a bit staticky. So I'll... Okay. <laughs> I'll just try and keep quiet because, yeah, I'm having a bit of technical difficulty. Difficulty on my end. I'm enjoying listening to the conversation. Right, well, I'll jump in then. Um, Something I was really interested in in asking you, Jeremy, was um, in one of the discussions we talked about how each of your covers um, is a direction from Dudley and you've got to sort of tailor your art style to match 
the style of the interior art. What's it like as an artist um, sort of changing how you would draw normally, I guess, to match someone else's art style? Because just from my own art education, you know, you sort of develop whether you... Um, intend to or not you you develop your own sort of style of of drawing or whatever so, and to change it to match someone else's can sometimes feel either very difficult or feel um for lack of a better word false to yourself because you're not drawing how you usually would um i'm imagining though if you're getting it printed that might buffer some of the <laughs> some of the difficulty of it but yeah how do you how is that how do you deal with that Oh well, no. Uh, he he hasn't told me to draw it in the, the style of the book. Oh, okay. It was more about. Um, I mean, he wanted it drawn. He basically his main directive was to try and make it different from the panels. You know, not to have it exactly the same, but have things recognisable. So yeah, no. I I mean I. He does want it drawn, obviously, in sort of the phantom style of artwork. If not, not exactly like not, not the artist exactly per story, but um, obviously he does want it done in a recognisable style. So it's not as though he wants it done in, say, an anime style or something. It's my and my I do naturally draw sort of in a similar style to that. I mean. Probably, if you were to look at um, maybe the back cover of the last one, or maybe the back cover of the Scorpio cover, that's pretty much what I'd sort of draw like, sort of that um, shadowy style. Um, Like, even sort of that crime style on the back of the Scorpio cover. That's kind of... That's what I'd normally draw like. Either that or sort of mm-hmm. a cartoony style, but um, probably that. So it's it's not really that different. It's not as though I'm trying to draw exactly like it. I mean, I do try to keep the likenesses similar yeah. of the mm-hmm. characters because I think that's quite important. I really try and make them quite recognisable. Yeah. But um, aside from that, and aside from that, I don't try and draw exactly like the the artists. I do draw like I draw. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But I try and keep the likenesses in the face. Obviously, I'm influenced by the artwork inside, you know. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. But um, it's not as though I would try and draw exactly in that style. Okay, cool. Um, That'd, that'd be quite difficult. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't think I'd really want to try and do an exact thing. It's not, not as though I'm trying to replicate exactly what's inside. In fact, if anything, I'm trying to do something different because if you're going to have an original cover drawn, there's no point in just replicating the panel. Yeah. Definitely. You may as well just use the panel. Mm-hmm. And if anything, I want to make it as different as possible. Or at least, you know, that's why I try and do it from maybe a different angle or, you know, obviously I want to try and make it look as though it's the same scene, 
but I'd like to make it from a different angle so it's not something just replicating inside. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So, um, what Do you have what, a cover that you've enjoyed doing more, more than any others? Oh, well, I think um, probably the last one was. I think that the last one that came out I thought was all right. You know, I, some of the early ones because really they're done in a quite a short amount of time. Um, it's. I think I'm getting a lot better in being able to do something in a, you know, a few days, which is really how long you have. Um, I think probably the best one I've done would be the last one, which um, hasn't come out yet but it should be out in a few weeks. And that one I did in about two days, or maybe one day, really, mostly. So it's not as though we have the luxury that the Swedish artists have, where they have a couple of weeks. It's um, And I know Glenn Ford has told me that he often had to do something overnight. Mm. And Antonio had to do something in a day or even overnight, it's quite, you know, it's it's tricky to try and turn out something in that amount of time, but it's a skill you've got to learn. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so you said before that you like to do your covers in the Phantom style. Um, is there a particular, what's the particular style that you or Dudley or Fru as a company consider to be a Phantom style? Oh, okay. Um, well, there's no sort of house style that they... Um, th- there's no style that Dudley has said to do. Uh, there, There is a particular shade of purple mm-hmm. that has to be used, but th- there's no actually style of anything that has to be done. Um, I think I really like the Italian artists moment i think they're really very very good and that's probably what influences me at the most the moment now would be the italian artists oh fair enough um some of the yeah i think particularly and the lightning egg i think really i thought that was quite exciting the artwork in that one Mm. um i i'm hoping that more ones like that will come out because uh, I think some of those old 60s and 70s stories really had some nice work in them. Yeah. Yeah. I so agree. what's the uh, purple colour? The, pur- the purple colour? Is it kind of um, like, you know, is it trademarked like Cadbury's purple? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, well, there's there's a preferred um, shade that um, Judith has the owner, so... Um, I'm not sure if people are, are aware of the structure of Fru, but um, Dudley Hogarth is the um, the publisher, but the owner is um, Judith Shepherd, who works there and has been there quite a long time, and also um, Judy, who works there as well. So they're the main staff at Fru, and um, they do an, an excellent job there. They've been there for quite a long time, and they make a lot of the... the important decisions there so 
that's really the main staff at Fru, but um, Judith is the owner of the company, and um, a lot so a lot of decisions are made by her. And a, a lot of people don't really um, know much about some of the other people at Fru. <coughs> so for many years there was a man called David Collins. I'm not sure if you're aware of him, but he he was. Um, he was the main letterer for quite a long time, um, up okay. until a few years ago when Phosphorescent took over, who were a comic company, and they started the digital lettering. But um, also Terry Wellsby, who was a cover artist there, I believe he was there from at least the 80s up until he only died a couple of years ago, but he was there nearly as long as Tommy Hughes. Wow. And people don't really talk about Terry Wellsby much, but... Is that Tessa? It, yes, yes, it is, yes. So, but he was there for a long time. And because he didn't sign a lot of his work, people don't know him quite as well. But there, there's a few artists there. There was um, Lee Taylor, a few other ones that um, did work there. But um, they're not all that well known. Because mm. some of them didn't sign or... Some of them only did a few covers or a few bits inside. Yeah. But it's quite interesting. Cool. So, um, so something I would just I just thought of I thought might be interesting to ask. In recent times, Jeremy, not so much the last one, but um, in previous years, some of the special editions that that Fru have done, um, the fifteen hundredth being probably a prime example. Um, the covers have been received less than enthusiastically. It's getting towards the end of the year. Are there any plans to do a big fancy cover that you might be aware of for next year's fan manual? And the 80th anniversary? Oh, yes, the 80th as well. From from what I understand, I believe Antonio will be working on those ones, so I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm not sure if you've seen some of his recent work, especially, like, some of his paintings, but mm. um, he's really, he's amazing. Like, he's really, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's great. Oh, cool. So, and I, I'm really happy that Antonio still does work for them through. I think it's great because he has been there since uh, 1993. So when I met him, I told him, you know, I said, you know, it's quite an honour to meet the artist from basically all of my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> and just to see, you know, well, you know, you know, I'm he. I think he's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think. It's going to be quite a good issue. I remember he's. I think his last really strong. Oh, and strong's not the right word. Sorry. Really um, painterly cover was probably issue fifteen eighty two, Seller and the President. That thing is beautiful. That that should be a poster that through um, releases. How they've been releasing posters based on their covers. That should be one. That's absolutely gorgeous. That cover. It's got. Um, Mine yeah. would be the. Um, uh, the one. Was it the uh, the Viking mist- Viking ship mystery or something like that, where you've got the big phantom head over the water? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. He's done. Like, um, there was an interview with um Antonio online not that long ago, and he picked some of his favorite ones. And I'd recommend for people to go and have a look because just seeing the ones that he considers the best, there's some really nice ones. And he's he's done several hundred. Yeah. But um, I really he some of his best ones are just amazing, and I think his best ones are as good as the things that have come out of Sweden and Italy. I think he's up there. And also Glenn Ford. I, I think Glenn Ford, one of his um, past annual covers, I believe, has been released, possibly as some sort of poster. That's yeah, 1032, be... I think it is. That's the one with the family, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's one of his painted ones. Right, Jeremy. Well, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Chronicle Chamber. Uh, Chronicle Chamber's X-Band. Um, all the best with your future cover endeavours. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, hopefully I am hoping to do more, but I think I think I can get it certainly a lot better, and I hope I get that opportunity. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure you will. The, the fans have been enjoying them, uh, especially the last couple of, of covers, so I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine in that regard. Yeah, well, thank you, everyone, for the interest. And thank you for the comments, good and bad. <laughs> All right, well, um, that'll probably do us for this episode. So thank you again, Jeremy, for joining us, and hopefully we'll have you back at some point. Yeah, oh, any time. And I'm, I'm a regular listener to the podcast. I oh, thank you very much. Have, haven't heard the last episode, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I do listen to most episodes and I really enjoy it. And I think it's, um, you know, I'm very glad that you do it. And I know Dudley listens to it. And, um, yeah, I I think it's good that you do it and I hope you continue to. Oh, well, we'll definitely keep doing it as long as people keep listening. Cool. Or we don't get arrested when Jermaine insults somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you very much. And... Um, We'll talk to you again soon, and thanks to everybody for listening. We'll catch you later.